as the kids leave, I want to mention just two things. Um, though they may get mentioned in announcements as well, but if you're like me, hearing something three or four times isn't going to hurt you. Um, annual church election is following the service in the gym, so if you're a member of our church, please head there and you can, you can vote for the annual election. And then also, if you are interested in camp, uh, and so maybe you're a kid, well, you probably just left, but maybe you're a parent of a kid or a grandparent of a kid, but our local church camp deadline is closing very soon to be a part of that. Um, and if you say, well, hey, you know, um, I'm not sure our kids want to do that or that's a great thing for us, but maybe we'd want to sponsor some kids, you are always welcome to do that. And there's, I believe, a list of things even needed that we can kind of pull this off. Um, just so you're all aware, our ability to, to host a camp for three days for boys and girls we charge $60, just to give you perspective on what that looks like. If you were to go to a camp somewhere for the same amount of time, it's about $250. Um, so between your donations and us just offsetting some of the cost, we do it for practically nothing. I, I don't, I mean, $60 is not nothing, don't hear that. But just to feed people for three days um, costs almost that much. So um, your generosity, and that makes that possible. And so we're able to have kids go to camp who wouldn't otherwise do that. So thank you for that. Um, so years ago, I took this thing called the Strengths Finder test. Maybe you've heard of it. There's a group called Barna who produces it. Like the premise is this: that if you will figure out your top five strengths, uh, you can then be more beneficial at home and at work and for the kingdom of God. Like if you understand your strengths and live into them, you'll be able to produce better. And so I, I took this Strengths Finder test and I got my results. And they were not surprising to me, and so I took them home, and I told my wife what my results were, and here they were in order. It was strategic, competition, achiever, learner, and input. And if you want to know what those are, I can talk to you about it later. And I told my wife, like, whoa, hello. Somebody hit a volume button there. No, um, so I told my wife, I said, here is the reality of uh, my, my results. And she said, mm, not accurate. <laughs> what? I thought it like nailed me. And she's like, mm, no. I said, okay, well, what would you do different? She goes, well, number one and number two need to be switched. And she goes, competition is definitely your biggest strength. It wasn't a compliment, by the way. <laughs> so I was thinking about that and continue to think about that regularly. Um, whether she's right or not, that's a different conversation. We'll talk about that too. But, but for most of my life, I found most of my identity and affirmation through athletics probably too much so if I'm really honest with that. And here's the reality why that's such a problem for, for me and for many of us is that if we find that, because I don't know about you, but um, unless you play one of those weird sports, there are winners and losers in every sport, right? Someone wins and someone loses. That's how that works. And so in order for me to be a winner, I have to beat you. That's how that works, right? Like I'm either the winner or I'm the loser, right? That's pretty much how that I don't understand it differently. Um, and so, by the way, this is a side note for all of you. Um, I always love when I hear like, people like my parents' age complain about all the participation trophy stuff because it was people my parents' age who invented that. So that's a whole other conversation for another day, right? Um, but my goal was to beat you and to be better than you. Um, and, and I know you're like, well, yeah, but what about team sports? Well, we can talk about that in a second. But, but like, especially in individual sports, like in running, I literally want to run faster than you. I, they say in golf that ideally you're playing the course. That's a lie. You're trying to beat the person in the group with you, right? That's how that always works. In tennis, you literally are trying to beat the other person. That's your only competition. Uh, at team sports, you can hide it a little better, 
right? We can, we can massage it, make it sound better, look different. We're just part of the team. Um, but even in team sports, um, I probably wasn't always a great teammate. Why? Because it wasn't just us versus them. It was me versus you. Because you determined whether I played more or less, right? I'm not saying these are healthy things, by the way. The challenge for me in my life has been turning that off when it's not appropriate and allowing it to be on in the right context and having the right heart with, like I said, I would still say I think my wife was wrong, but here's where she is right. Because of competition, I would have a tendency, especially early in a marriage, I would keep score. Right? You did this, so now I can do that, or you bought that, so I can buy this. No, I know none of you would ever do those kinds of things. None of you would ever live that way. Or we'd keep track and kind of like tally sheets. And I mean, I didn't actually write it down. I can remember stuff. Great skill. Um, wish I could forget more. But, but here's the reality. We remembered and we kept score. And it was destructive to our marriage. And maybe you guys know something about that. I think I've gotten better with that. You can ask her to confirm. Um, you know, because she's got the right answer on that one. But the problem for me and many others is this. That competition and comparison are crushing to me. I would continue to go after all kinds of things. And so, right, I'd compete with someone else in some way, shape, or form. I would compare myself to someone else. I mean, it's why, honestly, I pass numerous churches every day, and I don't do it every single time, but almost every time, I pray for those churches. Why? I mean, not only do I want God's kingdom to expand and more people to know Jesus, but I don't want to feel like I'm in competition with them. And so if I'll pray about it, I'm much less likely to live into it. And so what about you? What are the areas that you find yourself competing with others? Who is it you track on social media and evaluate what they have or don't have or get or don't get? Whose garage are you looking into and wondering what the new toy they have and if you have the same one? Who's the coworker that you look at their wardrobe and wonder if you can match? Who's the parent that what they do, you go, huh, I wonder why I can't do that. Why are my kids not like that? Or why are this or why that? See, we often look at someone else, judge them, and determine if we are better or worse than them following that. And here's where it gets really twisted. We then discern our value from whether we're better or worse than them. And here's the problem with that. If we determine we're better than them, we then eventually meet someone else who they're better than us by whatever metric we have determined. And so it just becomes this vicious cycle that is exhausting. To be competitive with someone else to be di- is so difficult. I mean, this is a rat race that just goes in circles over and over again. I mean, this is what social media does to many of us. How come they have more likes than I do? Why did her selfie get more likes than mine did? How come more people shared their posts and not my posts? How come they went on that vacation and we didn't? How come they did this and how come I don't have that? And why don't I look more like her or him? I mean, I could talk about this for hours, actually. In fact, this is such a destructive thing. It is messing up a whole generation right now. And not just young people are messed up by this. And here's why. Competition and comparison are crushing. I'll say that again. Competition and comparison 
are crushing. And it is crushing young people and old people alike. And for young people today to live like a, within a facade that everything is good and you're going to post this great picture when inside you're feeling like you're being destroyed. Like this, this is crushing. Unsurprisingly, this is not a new phenomenon. In fact, as we continue to look at the stories from Jesus and see how he had such an ability to speak into the human condition and the way in which we are living and what's going on in our lives, we begin to see over and over and over again how he speaks to the broken parts of our hearts and our lives. And the more we begin to lean into what he has to say, the more it reshapes us in new ways, right? Parables are stories that challenge us to see differently ourselves and God and the entire world. They challenge us to see differently. They're multi-layered. Rarely can we read them in one sitting and go, oh, I got everything that it has for me. Usually it takes conversation again and again and again to get to that place. And this parable from Luke 18 is no different. Jesus gathered around and there's all these people listening. And so um, he's talking to disciples and Pharisees and a group who's gathered. And here's what we find from Luke 18. Here's what um, Luke records. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Right? Jesus is addressing very specific people in this story. And sometimes I know we give Pharisees like a bad rap. We act like they're all bad. The truth is they weren't. Many of them became followers of Jesus. Many of them were good people. But it just so happens in this particular story that Pharisees Jesus is talking about and talking to are ones who thought very highly of themselves. They looked down on other people. I know none of us have ever done that. Right? I'm trying, how would I categorize these people? I, I, a better phrase that I could come up with maybe is like, they're, they're holier than thou. And so here's what I want to define that. They're not just people who are holy. Right? We should revere and respect and, and want to be like people we know who are holy people. But they're holier than thou. In other words... They do everything they can that's good, and they want to make sure you know how you don't measure up. I know none of us have ever been like that. Also a lie. Probably each of us, if we're honest, have had moments where we felt we are better than we really were. And so I was thinking about this particular parable because there's really two main characters, right? The Pharisee and the tax collector. So let's talk about the Pharisee for a second because um, the Pharisee actually practices some spiritual disciplines, some spiritual practices that are really, really good. He's praying. He's fasting. He's tithing. Like those are all good practices. In fact, we should all embrace those practices. We should live those practices out. They should be a part of our spiritual rhythm of life. 
But why is that a problem? And why does Jesus call him out for this? It has to do with the way he did these things. So let's talk about fasting, right? It's a good thing. It's a good spiritual practice. When you're hungry or when you give up something, you go, oh, I want this. I long for this. It's a way to go, God, help me to long for you in the way I long for this, whatever it is, whether it's food or something else. But here's what would have happened with Pharisees, many of them, in Jesus' day. It just so happens that Mondays and Thursdays were the days they fasted. Nothing wrong with Mondays and Thursdays. Maybe it's a great day for you to fast. They also happened to be the market days where everybody went to the market in Jerusalem. And so everybody would go to the market, and these people would fast, the Pharisees would fast, but they didn't just fast and like go about their business. They would fast, and they would whiten their faces, and they would look disheveled, like fasting for one day was the most awful thing in the world. In other words, hey, look at me. I'm fasting today in case you couldn't tell. Okay, problem. Back to the heart. Why do we fast? Right, we could talk about the idea that um, they went to pray. In fact, lots of people, they prayed at nine and noon and three. And lots of people went to the temple to pray every single day. Lots of people did that. That was a really cool thing. That, I mean, that was a pretty common thing. It was a, a marker of like spiritual desire and to know God. It's a good thing to pray and to if you want to schedule it, schedule it. God doesn't mind. Problem was, they would show up at the temple at those appointed times, and they would pray loudly with long, eloquent prayers so people could look at them and listen to them and hear them and see how important I am and see how spiritual I am and look at me. Are you starting to see the problem? And then look at the prayer the Pharisee actually prayed. He basically says, God... Do you know how awesome I am? Did you know how incredible I am? Look at all that I do. And Jesus contrasts him with the tax collector. Right? And like, wait, a guy who works for the IRS? What's the problem with that? Well, I mean, besides, none of us like taxes. But here's the way it worked in that world. Tax collectors often colluded with Rome. The people who were oppressing the Israelites, then one of your fellow Israelites would work with Rome and they would collude with them to pay the tax. And here's the problem. It wasn't that you were taxed, because that's probably actually appropriate in every culture. Governments provide services. So you pay for the services. That's how that works. We get it. Right? I'm glad someone does some of those things. I'm glad we have roads. Anyway, the same thing in that day. But here's where the problem came in, is there was a percentage that Rome would ask for, and there was then a reasonable percentage on top of that for the tax collector to make a living. That was actually appropriate in that culture. The problem was many tax collectors would take what the reasonable number was and double or triple or quadruple that number. And so let's say, hypothetically, you owed 5% annually in taxes. Well, now, as the tax collector, I'm charging you 10%. And I'm keeping 5% and I'm giving 5% off to Rome. No wonder you could get rich as a tax collector and no wonder your neighbors would hate you. And tax collectors were considered to be thieves and traitors. And so this guy walks into the temple, stood at a distance. He wouldn't look to heaven because he was too humbled by who God was. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. All right, here's what the tax collector also was. He was self-aware, and he was honest. It's the opposite of the Pharisee. The Pharisee um, wasn't self-aware enough to know why his motives were what they were. 
But the tax collector knew who he was and knew what he was doing and knew he was in desperate need of the mercy of God. And he humbled himself and said, God, I'm a wreck. Have mercy on me. Now here's the reality for us. I got to come back to the Pharisee because I think the truth is, more often than not, we live like the Pharisee. We struggle with what he struggled with. We struggle living lives of competition and comparison. It's like this, we call it, I mean, maybe you've heard this, like a one-upmanship. Like, we, we sometimes do it when we tell stories. Like, someone tells a story, and now i got to tell my story because my story is better than your story. And we just keep going back around, around the table, right? I know none of you have ever done that. I've never done that. We, we don't do that. But if it should happen, we call it like one-upmanship, right? I'm going to tell a story that's better than yours. And so, I, oh, i got a story about that. Right? We don't ever listen to anyone's actual story. We just tell our better one. We think it's better, because we think about us, right? Anyway, um, but here's what the Pharisee actually says, right? He says, I, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. And he gives a list. He says, other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even this tax collector. So then he points at the guy, right? Even that guy, I'm better than him. I know, none of us do that. Except when we say things like this. They're not like us. If those people, in fact, I I would kind of make the argument that the reason the Pharisee picks the list that he does is those are things he has no temptation with, right? I'll use an example that might be helpful in our our day, right? Uh, I've heard people usually who argue about like, uh, by the way, these are sinful things. I'm just using them as examples, but but that's why. Uh, People argue about premarital sex. Why? Because they're married and not worried about it. Still not saying it's good, by the way, right? We'll, we'll complain about that young person or that old person, but we'll never get to know that young person or that old person. We'll complain about, we'll give lip service to helping other people, but we're not really generous. People should be so generous. I'm not going to be generous. I'm expecting them to be generous. Like, like, they should do it, not me. Or if I were to take it further, I would say this kind of prayer, right? Thank you, I am not like them, those Democrats, those Republicans, those people of other nationalities, those men, those women, those divorced people, those bad parents, those alcoholics, those convicts. And this is where our lack of honesty and self-awareness comes in. The Pharisee has bought into a picture of God in which we have to be in competition with the other person for God's favor. That if I can't compare myself and make myself better, then God can't possibly love me or care about me. And it's an endless cycle that never stops. It is exhausting. Competition and comparison are crushing. They will crush your soul. They will crush your life. They will crush your heart. They will crush your home. They will crush your marriage. They'll crush you as being a good employee. I mean, they are crushing to you as a person. And they dehumanize others when we live into them. And the cycle is endless. But this story is actually a story of hope. That when we're honest and we're self-aware, like the tax collector, who knows what he has done is wrong. And saying, I don't want to live into this any longer. I want to live a new life. 
He knows the life he has been leading. It is not leading to life or hope or joy. It is vicious and it is destructive and he wants something different. So what does he do? He goes to the one who he knows offers mercy. Here's what mercy means, by the way. Leniency, compassion, grace, clemency, forgiveness. He goes to God and he says, uh, I can't do this. I need you. I need to be changed. I need to be restored. Like, here's what the tax collector knew. He knew you couldn't be proud and truly pray. You can't despise other people and pray honest prayers. See, true prayer comes from setting our life in comparison to Jesus, not other people. If Jesus becomes the comparison in which we live from, if that's who we're comparing ourselves to, man, I don't know about you, but none of us are ever going to measure up. And then we can be honest and self-aware about where we really are. And so, God, I'm in desperate need of you. Will you change me? Will you shape me? And then we pray these prayers, God, have mercy on me. Because here's the reality. Confession to Christ brings life. Confession to Christ brings life. I know, I wish I could have had another C that I could have done like six C's today, right? Competition and comparison crushing. Confession to Christ brings life. I didn't didn't know any other C's. I'm sorry. Uh, Maybe I needed a thesaurus. Some of you young people, those are books that you open. Also now works with Google. Um, And then Jesus responds with these words. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You and I don't need to compare ourselves or compete with anyone else to have value in the eyes of God. Our value is not determined by how we measure up to anyone else or any other standards. Our value is what God sees of us. And so when we compete, we compare, it robs us and them of the love that God has for us because we make them or us less than he sees us. And here's what might happen if we're if we begin to know this, we might become more self-aware and more honest and more humble and more willing to confess. And we might just find that God becomes more present than we ever thought possible. What might happen if we learn to pray this particular prayer? This is an ancient prayer. It's not a new prayer, right? But it's a prayer similar to what we see in this. This is where it comes from. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We might just find that the things that have entrapped us, that have held us captive, we might be freed from those things. We might just find that we become more like Christ. We might just become to recognize that we become more and more holy the more we realize we don't measure up to Christ. In fact, we might recognize that God's love feels as if it's ever increasing to us as we become more humble. In fact, what we might begin to recognize is that when our comparison is to him, and we allow his spirit to shape us, we do become more holy. Not holier than thou, just holy. What might happen if we recognize that Jesus came to save all people, us and them, whoever them is? What if we didn't see them as them anymore, we saw them as us? 
we might begin to notice is we not only become more holy as we become more like Christ, is that he shapes us when we begin to see people as he sees people as well. So I was thinking, the honest question for us to answer today is this. Why are we not very self-aware? Or do we choose to not be self-aware? Or are we not humble? Where do we take an honest look at our lives? Where do we need to step back and go, God, I'm not even sure where to look or what to look for. I'm just not sure what to do. What's the area that we're blind to that we might not see that others need to point out to us? So I was thinking, I was um, listening to a book, not reading a book. I won't tell you I was reading it because I was listening to it. Same, same thing at some level, right? It was an audio book in the car. And the guy was talking about prayer and how he would, he would pray. Um, he, was, he was calling them dangerous prayers. I don't know if they're necessarily dangerous, but life-changing is probably accurate. So um, he was praying this prayer, and he just said, God, reveal to me um, if this is accurate. And so he had, he had noticed that his wife had said something to him about his uh, cell phone usage and, and um, how it needed to be less. And so he kind of like dismissed it and justified what he was doing, his work, and these kind of things. And then he had some staff people say the same thing, and again, justified it, its work. And, and um, so he began praying, like, God, if this is an issue, will you make it abundantly clear to me? And so he began praying, and, and um, then he said he went to his son's high school soccer game. And he missed the game-tying goal, and then he missed his son's score the winning goal because he was on his phone. And he said, like, it was as if God goes, do you need more than that? I've had your spouse and your staff, and now this. You think you got it yet? I don't know what the area of your life that you and I need to be more self-aware. Like, that one was wake-up call to me at some level, too. But, but I don't know what the area is in your life that you need to be honest with God about. But here's what I have come to believe more and more. We, we come from a tradition that believes God can make people holy. He wants to make us holy. Like, we believe that he wants to make us holy. We could use the phrase Christ-like, right? We believe God wants to do this in and through us, that his spirit can so change us that we look and sound and act more like Jesus. But here's the problem for many of us. Because of that tradition, because we, we believe God makes us holy and he can do this work, we don't like the word confession. We're like, oh, I would do that once or maybe twice, and then we call it good, right? I've, been, I've confessed, I've been made holy. Now to confess again is almost like saying God didn't do enough. Now, that's not what I'm saying today. In fact, one of, the, one of the theological forefathers of our tradition is a guy named John Wesley. And Wesley had groups that met every single week, and they would confess weekly even their temptations. Why? They didn't want to give them power. And they would confess the areas of their life, like, God, I'm, I know I struggle with this. Like, I haven't done anything that would be sinful. And they define sin as this, like a willful transgression of a known law. In other words, I know it's wrong, and I did it anyway. But Wesley and others so desperately wanted to be made holy, made right, that they said, God, I'm going to confess to you all these things. I'm going to become self-aware and honest with what's going on in my life, and I will come to you in confession, and I will lay down these things because I want to be made right. I don't want to live in a cycle of competition and comparison. I want to be set free from that, and I want to find life in Jesus. And so I say all that to say this morning. I don't know where you might need to confess. I have confessed to you today one of my struggles, competition. It's a healthy thing to try to want to get better, and that's not the bad part. The problem is our heart can be wrong in that, and I know that, and that is a temptation of mine. What about you today? 
What's the area that God may ask you to lay down and say, you can have this, I'm not going to hold on to it any longer, but I'm going to confess. I'm going to ask you to change me, to change my heart, to change my mind, to change the way I see these people, or the way I compare myself or I compete with them, whatever it is for you, because competition and comparison have been crushing in the ancient world, and they're just as crushing today. But here's what we've come to believe. That because God is merciful, he offers leniency and clemency and forgiveness and grace. Because of his mercy, we can be like the, the tax collector. We can humble ourselves and say, God, forgive me. Have mercy on me. And so here's the invitation today. Will you and I take some time? In fact, um, I'm going to invite the, no, I don't do this, but I'm going to ask the praise team to come um, uh, right now. And, and here's the invitation. In just a moment, I will invite you to stand. Um, and here's kind of the, the offer today. If there's just something in your life that is a burning thing that you just feel like, God, I need to give this to you. I need to confess this to you. It may be maybe your own kids. Like, I've got control issues with them. Uh, maybe our spouse. It may be our job. Whatever it is, God, I'm going to confess this. I'm going to leave it for you. And I'm, I'm even going to be like, here. here's where it sounds different, right? I'm going to be willing to be like the tax collector and not care what other people think. And I'm going to confess and I'm going to make sure it's obvious to you that this is what I'm doing. And so here's the invitation this morning. Just a second, I'll let you to stand and we'll pray. And as I pray and as we sing, if you want to come kneel at, at the altar and just say, God, I want to confess to you. I want to leave this with you. I want to be made more like your son. I don't want to live in this cycle that is never ending. I want to find freedom and hope. I come and kneel and say, God, and we'll say this prayer together, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so if you want to come as we pray and as we sing, if you come to my right, your left, we will leave you alone. No one will bother you. If you come to my left, your right, someone will come and pray with you. So this morning, here's what I believe, that competition and comparison may be crushing, but confession to Christ leads to life. Will you stand and pray with me this morning? Father, we come before you today and we recognize our desperate need for your love and your grace and your mercy. And we're so thankful that we can come to you in these moments and just like this tax collector who was living a life that was destructive to his community, to himself, to others. He was stepping on others to get what he desired. He began to recognize that somehow by your grace and your mercy and your love that there was another way to live. And so Father, this morning, if we just need to confess to you, may we be willing and honest self-aware enough to come and kneel and say, God, I need you to change me. I need you to shape me. I don't want to keep living in this way that I've been living. I want your love to me for me to expand and to grow. Whatever it looks like, Father, help me to look like you. May I not compare myself to anyone else, but only to your son, Jesus, and may I learn to live more and more like him. And so, Father, help us to not only pray, but to mean and believe these words. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I pray these things in Jesus' name.